1: Okay, we're going to go ahead and take our first caller, Arlington from North Carolina. Hi, Arlington.
2: Hey there. Uh, Good afternoon, Steve.
1: Thanks for calling.
2: My question today is about interest
0: rates. How long does it typically take for the Fed rate hike to impact company earnings? I'm asking this because it seems that this quarter's earnings weren't drastically
2: affected by the increased rates. I saw that about three-fourths of the S&P
0: 500 companies beat expectations. This led me to wonder... How long of a time frame does it usually take for this thing to kind of kick in into companies, you know, earning Uh reports and whatnot?
1: Right. It takes three to six months. Remember, they started raising rates some time ago. So for that increase to start affecting earnings, we saw affecting, even though they beat expectations, they still affected some of the earnings, especially depending on the sector going forward of course it's going to really hurt the housing sector that's going to be the number one pain then of course any materials that support the housing sector because interest rates are rise meaning mortgage rates are higher meaning people are not going to you know can't afford to buy a new house and it's going to slow it way down and it has already so it takes three to six months for when the fed start raising rates to filter into the system and so they're still raising rates. So we're not done with what's going to with the impact that it's going to have. We're not finished. Now, on the other hand, of course, now they spent they spent eight hundred billion dollars in this new act, so that will support certain sectors. So you know, you just got to be careful what sectors you're going to
3: pick. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Arlington. Let's go to New York and talk to James. He wants to talk about
0: homeownership.
3: Uh, yeah, I was wondering if maybe you thought there it was a
4: wise time in general to invest in one's home and in particular i'm talking about curb appeal say a new driveway or a a new stonework on the front of the house this is a year that i've increased my 401k contributions also i was wondering if there is a percentage of one's income that might be wise to allocate on a renovation of one's home that i described
3: well do you plan to stay in at home for a long period of time? I do, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the cost of materials, the cost of labor is, is pretty high right now. So it's probably not the best time. Probably next year, later next year, will be a much better time. So I'd get a bunch of bids and do a lot of research. This is your time to, to make sure you're doing the right thing uh, with the right contractor, then you can can make that decision. I wouldn't be in a, a rush to do it right now. But, you know, as the economy softens, as inflation comes down, uh, there's going to be a, a better time probably in the next uh, 12 to 18 months to get that done. And this is the time to do some research and get bids and, and, and kind of time that right, uh, and, you know, unless you're in a hurry, which, you know, you're in there long term. I don't think you're in a hurry to, you know, do it so you can sell the house or anything like that. I would just be patient and be doing a lot of research right now thanks for the call james hello and best talk my name is enrique from pacific beach my question is with the water shortages going on right
2: now across the southwest especially arizona is it a good time to start picking up water companies for example like awk or uh, etf like pho or pio i look forward to your answer on the podcast thank you very much
1: well, on a long-term basis, I would say yes. I like, the, I like the water sector because there's going to be more demand and you know, it, you know, climate change is you know, it's just going to make it more difficult to move water from one place to the next because the infrastructure has to move too, and that's very difficult and expensive to, to change, but these companies will take advantage of that. So, I kind of like it for that reason. Now, AWK, American Waterworks is a $28 billion company. Uh, it's $158 a share, and it's going to make $4.80 next year. So, you're talking about a 30 PE. So, it's not cheap. I don't think the water, you're not the first one with this idea. So, I think it might, you gotta, You want to wait till these things go on sale. And they're not so far, even though the last two quarters, this company, you uh, AWK, American Waters, last two quarters, sales have been shrinking. Shrinking. Earnings have gone up about four to nine percent and sales have shrunk five to six percent. So that's not a good formula at this point. So I, I think I like the idea of long term, but I'd wait for, you know, a pretty dramatic lowering of price. Uh, it's too expensive. Too expensive for me. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
5: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need Talk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each Invest Talk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience 24-7. Rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99CHART.
6: To an encore presentation of Invest Talk, please call with your questions and comments though eight 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 ninety nine chart eight 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 ninety nine C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
2: Hey, this is Jeff from Montana. I've been listening for a few years. I want to thank you guys for all that you do. I'm twenty five, just opened a Roth IRA, and I already have my own portfolio on TD Ameritrade, made up of about thirty different stocks. I wanted to know what you guys would recommend for the Roth IRA, whether I should go the same route and use the same percentages in my current portfolio, or if I should go a different route, and invest in ETFs, such as mid cap, small cap value, or the S and P 500. I also wanted to know if you guys would recommend contributing the max 6,000
3: each year to the Roth. Looking forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Well, if you're allowed to contribute 6,000 to the Roth based on your income, I would probably do that. And, If you're already doing the work to build a portfolio of 30 different names that are well diversified and and doing well, I don't see why that wouldn't apply to a Roth IRA, Roth IRA too. Now, if you want to create product diversity and not have to do a whole lot of work, you know, you could use ETFs and just simply index. Uh, But you're already doing the work, if you have confidence in yourself and your process, then I would... Go with individual names, because I think uh, that's always better if you are know, know, if you know what you are doing. Thanks for the call.
4: Hello, Justin and Klein. Thank you, and I love your show. I listen every day. This is Allah from the Middle East.
2: My question is,
4: can you name for me the best low-risk ETF to put my money on, not rather than uh, keep the, the money in, in the bank, on my account bank? I consider your opinion. Thank you so much again, and have a great day.
1: Okay. Uh, low risk means uh, very little stock market exposure. So your low risk ETS is what you're asking about would be like an ultra short bond fund. That would be low risk. A little bit more risk would be just a short duration bond fund. Okay. Well, that would have no stock market exposure. When you start getting any stock market exposure, you can't call it low risk anymore. It just means more risk. When we sit down and meet with people, we talk about it. Justin and I talk about risk and how much risk and how to judge what risk you're taking. And as you get older, you want low risk. You want lower risk. But I also suggest that you always have some exposure to the stock market because that's the only way you're going to outperform inflation. Inflation is going to eat into your money. So what if the CD rates uh, are going? Uh, maybe they'll be four and five percent. But if inflation's eight percent, that's not going to help you. It's not. It means you're not even keeping up with inflation. So your money will buy less than two, three, four years from now than it can buy now. And even though it's growing, it's still buying less. The dollars are not buying what they should be buying. Got to stay up with inflation. Got to stay up with inflation.
4: The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for
1: you about Amazon.
4: So your questions keep coming.
1: question about P-E
4: ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance.
1: If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends.
3: Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year.
4: Steve and Justin are fearless, so don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART.
1: James in Sonoma. How are you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good. I wasn't going to call today, but you mentioned RMD, so I yep. ran to the phone. Okay, I'm going to be 72
2: next year, and unless Congress raises, the, uh, raises it up to 73, which I'm crossing my fingers, I'm hoping, I'm not think... going to need the money, so mine's a three-part question here. If I'm 72 and I can take the RMD, I assume I can take it anywhere in that year, because uh, my birthday's way late in the year. It's in August. I'm assuming I could take it February 2nd if I wanted to. My next question would be, is there any advantage to taking and putting, uh, you know, 500 shares of Honeywell from Part A I I don't need the money. And Bye. put in Part B. In you know, words, transferring stock versus cash. <laughs> and then my last question is,
1: uh, what do you recommend? What do most of your clients do? They take it early, take it late, do stocks. What do they do? Most of my clients take their RMD at the end of the year. You have to take it at the end of the year. It's not based on your birthday. It's based on the year that you turn seventy and a half, and by in that year, by the end of the year, you have to take the distribution. The other question you had: transfer stocks. You can take it any way you want out of your retirement account and put it into a regular account. You can do it via stocks if you want to transfer that amount of money that it represents. To another account and that's perfectly doable and and allowable and one other thing did you know that the IRS is changing the tables for the RMD in other words what they're doing is to our benefit instead of using 82.4 years of a life expectancy they're going to start using 84.6 so that means the amount of RMD the first the, the, in the years is reduced because it's over a longer period of time, so that's a benefit to us. How much is not that great of a deal, but it's something. It's better than nothing. And I don't—I doubt seriously, James, that the IRS is going to extend another year. I don't see that higher happening. I really don't. Thank you for the call. I appreciate Don. it. That was a good question. Thank you.
6: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
1: Okay, we're gonna go to Paul in San Francisco. How you doing, Paul? I'm good. Answer the call. Uh,
6: I have a question about required minimum distributions.
1: Um, you're required to take them out after age whatever, 70 or something like that. And 72. Then you have 27 years or something like that to get them all out. and and so, is there a maximum age that anybody can have any money in there? And that would be, I think, below below 100, somewhere above 95. Is that true? You have to take your minimum distributions. They don't tar- start until you're 72. That we're everybody we're talking about retirement accounts, that you know, regular IRAs and regular 401ks, that you have to start taking the money out because the federal government wants your taxes on that money. That's the purpose. But they changed from 70 to 72 a year or two ago. So you don't have to start taking minimum distributions until you're 72. And they just recently, I just read, just recently uh, uh, extended the life expectancy a couple of years. So that means you'll be reducing, they'll be reducing the the amount that they require you to take a little bit because you'll live longer. So, uh you don't have to work it down to any specific number, Robert. They just make you take out a certain percentage every year based on the tables. So you know you you could pass away or I could pass away having million dollars in our IRA. That would not that could happen. So there's no no you don't have to take so much out only only based on their requirements of minimum bu- distributions. And whatever's left is left. Okay? Thanks for the call. appreciate it. I don't have anything over, if I'm over 100. No, the age has nothing to do with it. Whatever's left over is whatever's left over. By the time you're 100, they may have already required you to take most of the money out. Did they, you know, because of the, every year they they make you take out a certain percentage. So if you're 100 and you have some left, that's surprising. That's great. Uh, great news. But, no, you don't have to take anything out just based on their tables. That's it. Appreciate the call. Thank you. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-Chart, beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
6: To an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
3: Let's go to Art in Tucson. He wants to talk about trailing stops. Hello, Justin. It's Art yes. from Tucson.
2: Uh, love the show. Thanks for all it. you guys do out
4: there for us. Uh, I had a basic question on trailing stops and. Basically, I want to know when it's appropriate to employ a trailing stop and if it's preferred to use a percentage or a point strategy for a trailing stop and why? And then uh, what is considered a tight stop? I hear that term thrown around, but it's rarely defined
3: by anyone in a, in a terms of a percentage at least. Okay. Um thank you. Yeah, great question. And the answer is always going to be a percentage wise because some stocks trade for in the teens, other stocks trade for hundreds of dollars per share. So you're never going to go by, you know, down a dollar, up a dollar, because that can mean a lot of different things, depending on what stock you're talking about. And then, you know, you never want to use a hard and fast number of 8% or 10% because some stocks are very volatile or others are not so volatile, you know, Procter and Gamble that's going to have low volatility. And so, you probably want a smaller stop, six percent, five percent, something like that. Whereas, say you're trading Tesla, which can move dramatically in a short period of time, uh, a five percent stop is going to get you stopped out very often. So a lot of it has to do with the historical volatility that you are that that, that the stock tends to to move with. And so uh, I, I don't like to use really those percentage numbers. I, I rather use the moving averages. So, and as well as support levels, so stocks tend to move and find support, uh, or resistance at certain moving averages. And so when the character of the stock ch- changes, meaning let's say it's in an uptrend and it tends to find support at the hundred day. And then suddenly it found support at hundred day for a short period of time and then failed. Well, that's, that means that stock is changing character that maybe that long uptrend that it's been in is no longer in place or is being threatened and that's when you want to think about exiting or uh, reducing your position Uh, and so that's what i rather use uh, is is a moving average Uh, you could also use uh, other support areas like previous breakout uh, points so a lot of times a stock will move up it'll consolidate for a while then it'll move up again Will it'll it'll return back to that previous consolidation area and and typically find support. That's kind of what you saw today in the markets. Uh, it hit its its consolidation area from uh, early July and it it found support. Now, if you start to break below that consolidation area, suddenly that kind of stair step higher, where you get a rally and a pullback and a rally and a pullback, you know that's a that's a healthy way a stock typically will move and actually a very sustainable way a stock can move higher. Whereas, you know, if something moves quickly in one direction, oftentimes that, that, uh, that dissipates rapidly. Um, so it's more about the characteristics of the chart. And if those characteristics, those bullish or bearish characteristics, depending on if you're long or short, uh, start to change. Uh, so that's what I would use. I wouldn't use a hard and fast rule. I would become comfortable with charting and, uh, utilizing those tools in order to help you understand the current trends in the market as well as individual names. Thanks for the call.
4: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve... Financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888 99 Chart.
3: Let's go to Herbert in San Antonio. Let's talk about earnings calls. Uh, Hello, Justin. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh,
2: I appreciate uh, your podcast. I listen to it diligently. My question today is on a company, ticker symbol C-O-D as in Delta, I. And I was listening to an earnings call the other day, and basically they have $1.3 billion in debt. And the CEO was saying he has all of that debt locked in with unsecured bonds at five and a quarter. What exactly does that mean?
3: Well, he's just saying that their debt doesn't need to be refinanced anytime soon. Uh, I don't know what the maturity schedule is. It doesn't sound like he talked exactly about that. Uh, but you know the fact that corporate borrowing rates have gone up a lot with interest rates, and if you can, if you're locked in at five and a quarter, that's a pretty solid rate <laughs> compared to what most uh, industrial companies are getting right now. And I think that's that's what he's talking about. That's that's good uh, if you are uh, you know a bit worried about their business and the fact that maybe uh, you know they might slow. It does look like it's slowing a bit. Um, but it's just talking about their corporate debt uh, structure and the fact that it isn't uh, in imminent need of being refinanced at a higher rate and therefore a higher interest cost that would feed into their cash flow statements and their earning statements, et cetera. So that's, uh, that's likely what he's talking about. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, it does. Thank you so much for tearing that up. I just wanted to make sure I have been investing in this company for about two years. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to make sure that that was covered.
3: But thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's
1: hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. you can get through right now.
3: Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication,
6: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the
3: next Invest Talk. Let's go to Eric in Virginia and wants we'll to talk about gold and silver prices.
2: Hey, how's it going, Justin?
3: It's going well. Um,
2: I'm calling because, um, so. It seems like over the last year or so, the biggest headwind to gold and silver has been the rising dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of my thought process would be that, you know, at some point that's going to turn around. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, I'm also wondering if just the fact that, you know, deglobalization is definitely um, playing into American America's favor, in my opinion, with just the fact that we're set up better to be uh, – you know, independent from a lot of other nations versus you know other nations aren't. Is that something that could potentially make the strong dollar last longer than maybe I thought it would?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fact that we are more uh, more stable uh, as a as a as an economy, we're a more diversified economy. We don't have to import a lot of raw materials, uh, whether uh, whether that's energy or um, soft commodities. Or other types of hard commodities. Um, I think that's certainly true. Long term, we're we're set up fairly well. in Energy independent. We're the largest energy producer in the world, uh, as well as we have a lot of deposits of, you know, copper and uranium and all types of uh, other uh, minerals that are important, as well as ag. You know, we're the largest agriculture uh, agricultural exporter in the world, and so. Uh, I think you are correct in that sense, especially if you compare it to the likes of Japan or China, who have terrible demographics, which we have pretty good demographics. Uh, So all of these things are setting up for America to be stronger on the other side of this but that doesn't mean that um, it's going to be consistently strong Uh, the dollar i mean Uh, the dollar is going to go through its up and down cycles Uh, right now we are tightening policy much faster than the the rest of the world the rest of the world trying to catch up with us Uh, and then on top of that we stimulated our economy to a large degree and so that is all wearing off and unlike and, and it means that our economy is moving back towards what the rest of the world's been doing, which is uh, since the pandemic, which has been in more of a fits and starts type of um, uh, process, uh, where we had huge growth because uh, in 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 late 2020 and 2021, because of tons of fiscal and monetary stimulus. Uh, And so that's gonna wear off uh, in, in relation to the rest of the world by sometime uh, middle part of next year. And I think that's something to consider in the, the medium term. Um, and then the fact that inflation is likely to peak here in the back half of the year and come down pretty decently, especially in in, in the first half of, of next year. So all of those things makes me think that the dollar is likely to uh, be at a, a near term, um, I guess, intermediate term top. Uh, at least close to it uh when we actually see that we'll, we'll see maybe today was that that first big uh, reversal um but i do think that gold and silver are at a a longer term bottom especially if you zoom out and you look at the support levels you look at the pattern um this is major support and it's held it um despite a strong dollar despite higher interest rates all those things should be uh should, should say that the gold gonna gold and silver are gonna break down dramatically um, and they are certainly down, but they're they're not falling off a cliff like you would expect them to do with with those other headwinds. And so uh, that relative strength is uh, telling me that um, longer term, the longer term bullish uh, setup that is within the precious metal space remains intact. Uh, and so, uh, you know, long term, the dollar can go up and gold can go up. Um, but obviously, near term, um, that makes it a little bit more difficult. Thanks for the call.
2: Hey, my name is James. I uh, just actually started listening to the program and uh, impressed so far and uh, happy with it so far. I uh, just had a question about what to uh, to purchase at the moment and not wanting to invest in technology or any of those things. Is now a good time to buy commodities or should a person wait for a while, give a little breathing room and see if commodity prices come down in then purchase at that point? Thanks. Bye.
1: Well, that's a good question, and I, I have a probably a, uh, a duplicitous answer. How's that? I would say yes and no. Our commodity positions that are pretty fairly, fairly priced, and I would definitely consider them, but I do think we may have another leg down, which will make them cheaper. I agree with your assessment about staying away from uh, growth stocks. I do, and I've been saying that for all this year. And into last year, but uh, value, value commodities, value stocks, seems to be the play for the next year or two or three or even longer. And I would I would look for opportunities in that area, and you will get the opportunities. And there's some right now, not a lot, but there's some.
4: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Where principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing this means that the personal investment accounts of kpp principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages it's an important difference you can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or reach out to steve peaslee and justin klein by emailing or calling their irvine california office the Invest Talk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions 99 chart.
2: Steve or Justin, Jason from Minneapolis. I have a Roth IRA question. If you're holding these stock at a significant loss, say down like seventy percent on one of these high tech stocks, if you're holding in a brokerage account, you know you can always sell off those stocks to have offset your capital gains. But in a Roth IRA, you can't offset any losses. What is your guys's recommendation on a strategy? Do you just hold on to it and just wait? Maybe in five plus years, you know, you'll recoup your money, or do you just sell it and just kind of like, you know, throw that money away? What is your strategy on a Roth IRA with stocks with significant losses? I look forward to hearing your answers on the podcast. You guys do a fantastic job. I've learned a lot. I appreciate everything you do. Have a great
1: night. Okay, that's a pretty good question. So if you have a stock that's lost lots of value, do you get rid of it? Do you just say, okay, that's too much, I'm out? And the answer is not that simple. First of all, you ask yourself, well, why did I buy the company? What was the, about the company that I bought it? Did I buy it for the dividend? Did I buy it for growth? Did I buy it because it has a new product coming out? And so you should write those reasons down. When you buy the company, this is why I own this company. Okay, here's my reasons. Now, if those fundamental reasons why you bought that company no longer are valid, then get rid of the stock. So, let's talk about, you know, a high dividend paying big, huge, blue-chip stock. Paying, you know, when you bought it, paid 4.5% dividend. Now, it lost over half its value. So, the dividend's gone up dramatically as a percentage. They pay out the same amount of dollars and cents, but dramatically as far as percentage. Do you get rid of that stock? Well, if you just bought it for the dividend and you were just going to hold on to it because it pays a great dividend, no, you just hold on to it. If you bought a stock that's growth, you wanted to buy a stock because it was growing really fast, and it's still growing, but the market's beating it up terribly, you would still hold on to it. if the valid re- If that reason still is there, it's still growing like it was. But let's say it stopped growing maybe competition is too hard, then there'll be a valid reason to get rid of it. So those are the kind, you just have to it's just not because the price goes up or down that you sell a stock. That's not a valid reason to, to buy or sell a stock because the price went up or down. That's not valid.
6: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today,
3: 888-99-CHART. Now, let's go to Ken in Maryland. Let's talk about covered call ETFs.
6: Right. Are you familiar with those? And Is that something you would buy for your clients in a portfolio?
3: Well, we run a covered call strategy ourselves. It's called uh, Equity Income Plus, but we use individual stocks uh, just like an ETF would. But most of these ETFs are following some index. You know, we have we're we're leaning our clients towards uh, towards energy, towards industrials, towards commodities, towards uh, real businesses and not story stocks. Right. And we're buying uh, in that strategy only dividend paying stocks, which most of these, uh, you know, when you're following an index, there's some dividend payers and some not not dividend payers. Um, So we like the idea of a cover call. It does moderate the volatility of an all equity portfolio. In great years, it will hold it back a little bit. Uh, In bad years, it will give you a nice hedge on the downside. In oh, so-so years, oftentimes you'll beat the the overall uh, indices. Um, but ultimately, it's about the underlying asset because a covered call is you're buying 100 shares or you know, 100 share increments of a stock, and then you're selling call options to bring in more premium uh, to hedge on the downside, uh, bring bring more income into the portfolio, et cetera. And if you do it right, uh, like we do, then it will boost overall returns. But if you pick bad assets, it doesn't matter. So – right. So if you're, if what about
6: these? They have particular uh, ETFs that play the indices on a covered call, where you're buying more than just one stock, and they uh, put in the covered call for you on the ETF.
3: Who's? Uh, I mean, they're doing that. Like for example, QYLD is one that I get called on a lot. That's the Nasdaq 100 covered call ETF. That's what they're doing. In there, right? They're 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 owning the underlying. Nasdaq 100 and then they're selling call options and I'm not sure what they're there's a lot of different strategies on how you roll those options and manage those options etc. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Underlying asset is the Nasdaq. And so if the Nasdaq goes down, I don't care how good your covered call strategy is, you're still going to lose money. Right? So I'd rather run an individual strategy and run a covered call strategy uh, than buy one of these ETFs. Uh, But is this better than owning the Qs itself? I would argue yes. Okay, so if you're apples to apples, right? The the same index, uh, non-covered call strategy or a covered call strategy, I'm picking the one that has the covered call strategy. But I wouldn't want to own the Qs, so I don't want to own it in either instance. Thanks for the call. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Puma51 says, I've been saving and working at a down payment for working at a down payment for a house, and obviously no one can predict the future, but what do you think about the outlook might be for housing market for 2023-24? I'm 26, I live in New Hampshire, and it seems very uh, it seems every house is up here is overpriced and much older. Uh I would be very patient. Uh typically housing markets run in three, four year cycles. And we've just started the down cycle. We're probably six months into it. Um, So I'd be extremely patient, especially if mortgage rates stay in the five, six range. That's going to mean we're going to reset our prices uh, nationally back to 2017, 18 uh, levels. So I think we're going to make a a round trip uh, from the COVID bump in a lot of markets with rates where we're at now. Mm -hmm. So I'd be patient. Oh,
2: hey, Justin. Hey, Steve. Thank you for your show. Just love it. This is Tom Collins from Oregon. Had a quick question. In your show previously, you've mentioned that general rule of staying away from IPOs within the first six months. I uh, was just curious if that rule also applies to ETS and mutual funds.
3: Thank you. look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Bye. Well, I don't say that we sh- you should avoid IPOs in the first six months. What you worry about is the lock period that usually lasts six months. So after the first six months, that's usually when you get more pressure on the stock downward. In the short term, when IPOs hit market, as long as they're sufficiently hyped and that hype stays up there, uh, the, the, the stock tends to kind of hold water um, because there isn't a lot of new supply of shares coming on market. Uh, now, with that caveat, I will say that most IPOs are overpriced, and so you're you're probably paying too much for those those IPOs long term. In those first six months, um, but typically, I, I just probably wouldn't touch I, most IPOs for the first year uh, until you get some chart history, some trends, some multiple quarters of uh, the the business, uh, and those those insiders uh, selling. So that's, that that's on the IPO front. Now, when it comes to ETFs and mutual funds. I guess, IPOs and ETF coming to market, uh, historically, it's a very bad time to invest in new IP, new uh, funds, ETFs that come on board, especially those that are focused on a particular subsector of the market, right? Uh, think of robotics and AI and th- you know things that are very uh, hot and uh, because w- Typically these ETF, these fund companies are only coming to market because they, they need, they need assets to sustain that fund. And they're only going to come to market when a lot of investors are ginned up to, to bet on that particular sector or subsector. And if you just look back in history, a lot of them, uh, if you, go, if you look ones that have been out for five, 10, 15 years. They peaked early on um, because those fund families issued it when that was a hot sector and the, the, the they were very overvalued, That like, you know, the companies within them were already overvalued. Um, so typically you want to avoid those as well. Now, broad-based ones that might be different, uh, ones that are focused a little bit more on, you know, quant strategies where you're over and o- underweighting certain uh, aspects of uh, particular companies, things like that. Uh, those I worry less about. The ones that are very thematic, those are the ones that you definitely want to avoid, especially early on. And if you see a bunch of them hitting and hitting the market and you own those individual names in your portfolio, you should start thinking twice about the names that you own. Thanks for the call.
1: Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you, 888-99-CHART.
6: 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99CHART, 888-99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. This is Ed Bravo. I really like the show. I really appreciate you guys and all the uh, information you guys share. What are your thoughts on these cannabis companies investing in them? Thank you for your time. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, I do think
1: cannabis is another area of uh, future investments because, you know, that area is just growing, growing very fast. And there's a lot of... Merger and acquisitions going on in that industry. So you're going to have to be careful where you are and try to pick one of those companies that are going to be acquired because they usually jump up when that happens.
3: Let's grab another voice bank question that came in earlier from Atlanta. Hi, this is Ari in Atlanta. I'm actually calling because I wanted to include my daughter. She's 15 in investments, but I don't know how I should get her started. So
2: just wanted to put a question out. Thanks. Bye. Well,
3: the first thing I would say is if she has a job, I would try to open up a Roth IRA for her if she can. She she doesn't have to actually fund it. But if she can just have a little bit of a job, earned income, whatever that is, you can put that money into a Roth IRA account. Okay? So I would think about that if you can. And having a little part-time job, not a bad thing. I know it might be a little harder than usual right now, but I think that would be good for her. Next, if that's not the case, she doesn't have a job, then just I would open a brokerage account uh, for benefit of maybe her name. Now, Steve and I differ a little bit on new investors. I always think, especially in today's world, now with no commissions, it's easy to put a few hundred dollars in, get them used to investing. And I like to invest in individual companies. Steve would probably say indexing, but I like the individual company route because it allows young investors to start to understand how companies work, invest in the companies that they like, right? Maybe they're on TikTok a lot and they want to buy Oracle, right? Uh, Maybe they're on Instagram. They want to buy Facebook, right? Maybe they have an iPhone. They love Apple. They want to buy Apple and it gets them a little more involved in in connection to stock market and then the real life things that are happening. So that's the way I would get them Started and start to learn, but with a very small dollar amount.
2: Hello, Noah from Hawaii.
4: Thank you, first of all, for the uh, excellent, excellent podcast you put out. My goodness gracious, uh, you enrich us with your entertainment and your uh, and the education that you give us on uh, all the financial matters. Uh, thinking about uh, utilizing a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, to manage my um, my retirement funds. And I want to know the correct, proper questions to ask them to research that company or a particular company. Should I ask them about their annualized return for low, medium, and high-risk portfolios? Should I ask them about their ratings within the industry? And third, should I um, ask them about their fee structure based upon a dollar amount invested with their firm? I uh, appreciate your answer, and I listen. look forward to it. Take care, and aloha
2: from Hawaii.
1: Okay, CFP, Certified Financial Planners, uh, are, are a good start, but the be- first major question when you're talking to a financial planner is how they get paid, because they're not investors. They are not. They don't invest things. Um, they more advise you what to buy, and, and generally they're telling you to buy insurance and buying mutual funds and buying annuities, things that cost money, to you, but makes them high profit. So that's the first, most important thing in my mind is uh, uh, how he gets paid. When, when uh, how, you know, if he, if you pay him by the hour because he's giving you advice, I, I'm okay. I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with him getting paid. Don't think I'm not. But a lot of times it's obscure because he's getting commissions and back end commissions from things. So he or she. Also, if they're recommending a custodian of your money, you know, like Schwab or Fidelity, Vanguard, I don't care who, Goldman Sachs, make sure it is F, insured, okay? FDIC, uh, that is the insurance for banks. SIPC is insurance for um, uh, custodian of investment accounts. You want a large, safe, insured custodian. That's really important. Very, very important. Madoff, who stole those billions of dollars, he was his, his company was the custodian, and it was not insured. Okay? And of course, you mentioned it, and you want them to be a fiduciary. You want them to have the fiduciary responsibility. Uh, we are, KPB Financial is, and that is important that you get it. all so those are those kinds of questions, you know. Performance. If he's a, a financial planner, he's not managing accounts, so you know his performance would be whoever he's telling you to go to for performance, whatever assets he's telling you to buy. So, good questions, though. very good questions.
0: InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial.